Welcome back to the Mountains in the Sea, where we find the highs and lows of each and every Prince album every other week. I'm Christy. And this is Josh. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. Today, we're continuing Vault Disc number one from 1999, Super Deluxe. It's so super deluxe, we didn't get through it all in one episode. Well, we did, but we didn't <laughs> want to publish an episode that would push the patience of people. Now, I know some of you said that you don't mind a long episode, but it's hard for me to edit. It would have been probably a two and a half hour episode. It's it's just a lot for me to be able to edit in time to yeah, get it up. It's a lot for you to edit. And half of the hosts here being me wouldn't have listened to it at that length. <laughs> yeah. I would have been out. Yeah. I would have looked at the time and been like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> How do you have that much to say? Yeah, Yeah, the only time we broke in two hours was when we did originals. Yeah. And that was only because we listened to both Prince's original song and the... Yeah, the released version. Yeah, the actual version that ended up getting released by the other artists. So that was the only time that we have broken that, and it was tough. So I'm not going to do that to myself again, where the, some of you don't like longer podcasts. So, you know, we don't want to do that to you. So but. let's keep talking about it and make <laughs> this episode longer. <laughs> we appreciate your patience so much with letting us get through this the right way. We appreciate you letting us take a little time with this programming note. If you did not hear the last episode, you might want to go back and listen to it because some of the things that we talk about when we choose our mountain, our sea, and our time capsule at the end of this episode are from last episode, but it's still very enjoyable to listen to this even if you didn't hear that. This is a companion piece to the last episode, a part two, a serialized podcast, so to speak, for two episodes. Uh, the break is a little bit awkward. I tried to make it as smooth and seamless as possible, but it's short. So please do uh, stick with us. Give us a little patience with that. And we'll be back. I'm going to cut out what we say we're going to talk about next time. And we're going to tell you what we're actually going to talk about next time because we've learned our lesson from this episode. So do stick around all the way to the end of the episode so you can know for sure what exactly we're covering next time. I can't wait to hear it myself. (laughs) Thanks and happy purple listening. All right, we're back. Thank you so much for sticking with us through that quick break. Now we have International Lover Take One Live. That's a lot of disclaimers. Take one, live. (laughs) Live drums by Morris Day, originally intended for Morris Day and the time. Yes, it's um, Prince is starting this uh, routine of stealing songs from Morris, (laughs) starting with Party Up, and then this being something intended for him that he reclaimed. Mm -hmm. It's so playful. It's very playful. So this was literally an early version of the last track from 1999. Yes. Another live studio kind of sound. No guitars on the song at all. Mm-mm. It's Prince on or piano and Morris Day on drums and Prince singing. Yeah. And that's it. Yep. This is sung really casually by Prince, I thought. Aside from the very opening where he has his falsetto humming going along, mm-hmm. going on. That, that seems like very intense singing to me. And then the rest of the song is very laid back and super playful. And, you know, there's laughing going on. Yeah, which is um, great. It's very, it's, it seems to me like this was a let's try this out and record it, not let's record this and intend it to go for consideration for an album. This right. was meant to be kind of a personal review sketch of a song. Yeah, either to... For Morris to follow, yeah, or just for them to go back and listen to, and oh, let's change this or do this different, or right, yeah. I think this song and Bold Generation, I think, kind of helps you understand why Prince kind of considered Morris 
a secret weapon as a drummer. Yeah. And he's not really well known for it. No, but, but he's great. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, he ended up being, you can't be a front man of a band and be a drummer. It just doesn't not really work. Not typically. There are a few bands that have done it and yeah. done it well. It's rare. It um, is But if rare. you're, especially if you're going to be telling somebody to bring you a mirror and... You know, yeah. doing cute dances and that kind of stuff. You yeah. can't do it while you're yeah, obscured you, by drums. Yeah, you can't be a dancer and the drummer. Right. Yeah. Right. Which I think, unfortunately, doesn't give enough credit to Morris and how uh, talented he was mm-hmm. as a musician and not just the funny front man of the side project of Prince's. Right. It was much more than that. Yes. At like two minutes and 15 seconds, there's something happening in the background. I can tell. Prince almost couldn't sing two things that are happening here, but he kind of does. And it's this tiny little amazing thing that I didn't notice. I I probably listened to the song several times before I noticed it. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) He does flub. Some yeah. things yeah. during this song, too, that he just keeps going. So yeah. I don't know if that's part of it where what you're talking about or there's a moment where he says, we're now making our final approach. Apl- uh-huh. He kind of yeah. flubs the word approach, but it just, just shrugs yeah. it off yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. We are now making our final approach into satisfaction. Peggy, are you listening? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do you remember her talking about this on the Making of 1999 podcast uh where he kind of ad-libs I know how to keep you wet Peggy are you listening <laughs> Yeah I know how to keep you wet Peggy are you listening and she had her back to them, you know, working on something uh-huh. mechanically at that time. And she talked about it in that in the in the 1999 podcast. She was talking about how Prince's personality was not an exact match for his overtly sexual lyrics. That he was yeah. really respectful towards women, especially when she was alone with him in the studio, which happened a lot. That there was never anything that made her feel uncomfortable. He was very respectful for the most part, you know, maybe not of her time because he (laughs) had her there hours where normal people are not working, but, um, and actually requested her as a female to be the one that was there with her. But she was busy working on something with her back turned to Prince and Morris during that part. And she was recalling how much she smiled and blushed Uh at that call out (laughs) when he mentioned her name, which I thought was really, really cool. Yeah. I always felt like, International Lover was Do Me Baby Part 2 to a degree, um, (laughs) but with the obvious travel puns, you know, worked in. And Prince has a history of doing that. Like, I always thought scandalous and insatiable were trying to be when two are in love. You know, he'll hit this certain type of ballad that resonates with him, like Do Me Baby or When Two Are In Love. And there are a few ballads after that that kind of follow Mm -hmm. the template. And um, international is is that to me? Okay. Also. Do you like the part where Prince tells Morris, "Don't touch the symbols"? Oh, <laughs> yes. Thank you for flying Morris International. Don't touch the symbols. And I went back and listened a number of times, and I don't hear Morris touching the symbols. So I don't know if it was really <laughs> him giving direction or just saying, keep doing what you're doing. Or maybe it was a euphemism for something. Oh, maybe so. Like, don't get to that bit just yet. Yeah, save it for later. <laughs> Make it last. Yeah, like the seven spots and friends. <laughs> seven. Seven. <laughs> seven. Um, he I says, this it, is your pilot prince, uh-huh. and, but he's doing his Morris Day impression. Yeah. Well, he starts with, good evening. This is uh-huh. your pilot prince speaking. You know, then he kind of turns it into the uh-huh. Morris voice. Yeah. <laughs> Good evening. This is your pilot prince speaking. And he's about to laugh. We ask that you please observe the no letting go sign. You can tell that one just really tickled him. Yeah, he, he found a lot of humor with the airplane <laughs> liked the sexual puns, puns a lot. <laughs> We ask that you please observe the no letting go sign. There's one lyric that always bugged me on this version and the released version when he says, 
I anticipate a few turbulence along the way. Yeah. I anticipate a few turbulence along the way. Like you expect no. what? You no, mean it like a be few some, a not... few pockets of turbulence or a few incidents of turbulence? Or some turbulence? I expect some turbulence along the way. Yeah, a few, a turbulence, few, few turbulence does not make sense. And it wasn't like he'd never been on a plane before. I'd been on a plane a lot. Yeah. He was obviously writing down the instructions. I bet he knew how to buckle his seatbelt. <laughs> You lift that end and you pull this through. I know to put on my own mask before helping others. And then, Prince, you turn to the child sitting next to you and you put their face mask on later. That's right. Yeah, he was listening. (laughs) (laughs) So at the end of the song, you know, like at five minutes, he does the don't touch the symbols thing cutely. And then at six minutes and 28 seconds, when the song ends, he says, give me a nice little ending right here. And then he says, just touch the symbols a little. Uh-huh. He's back to yeah. like, oh, now you, now you can. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, now's the time to for seven. Right, seven. <laughs> we got to that point. Give me a nice ending right here. Just touch the symbols a little bit, you know. I love that little bit of instruction there, and mm-hmm. yeah. This has kind of been the first and only single, if you want to call it that, from this collection, too, is um, before weeks before this collection was released. This song was released as a single on Apple Music and on yeah. YouTube and other platforms, too. So it was kind of a, it made me wonder, like, why, why this one? Oh, maybe it was just of these songs, yeah. like one of the most well-known. I guess. I mean, why why they wouldn't pick an unknown to most people print song to release to make this more exciting for folks, I'm not sure. I, I was fine with it because I was like, oh, this is, it's kind of a fun listen. It's like a rehearsal, a great right. rehearsal recording of Prince and Morris Day in the studio together. So it was always fun to hear, but... I don't know why a song like the next one we're about to cover wouldn't uh-huh. have been released as a single. Like, here's an unheard sure. song for the general population from the 1999 era. You can hear it now. Yeah. Would have been I really cool. Yeah. Speaking of the next song. The next song is Turn, Turn It, it up. up, which to me is like the center. There's a theme going on between these songs recorded from late 81 to mid 82 that this song is in the center of, it seems to me. I agree. Absolutely. It was replaced by Delirious in the 1999 lineup. Yeah, so it seemed to be known that Turn It Up was for considered for 1999. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Prince seemed to think that Turn It Up was similar to Delirious, which I think is maybe not so sure. A little bit. I think it's more like Money Don't Grow on Trees, Because this kind of sounds like another version of that, almost like he was like, I could kind of sing Money Don't Grow on Trees to turn it up a little bit. They sounded akin to one another, if not alike. You you have a very disagreeing look on your face. Totally. Like (laughs) Money Don't Grow on Trees is one of those live kind of sound, almost the time kind of sound with live drums and a little more funk. And this is more along the same lines as Fill You Up and Irresistible Bitch and on the next vault disc, Possessed and Purple Music and Moonbeam Levels. It has the, that kind of drippy electronic drum beat to it. Okay. And those synthesizers kind of from Irresistible Bitch and the guitar from Irresistible Bitch are here. And I always kind of put it in that category as a mm. song. And I thought... In my opinion, You're All I Want, which we haven't got to yet, and Horny Toad are the ones that are more akin to Delirious and even have similar bass lines to Delirious and could right. be the reason. But, and I'm not saying that Turn It Up should have been on 1999, but I'm saying it's not the most similar song to Delirious in this whole collection. Well, he talks about a lot in both of them. In Delirious, he says... Baby, you gotta stop because if you don't, I'm gonna explode. And girl, I got a lot. And then turn it up. He says, turn it up, turn it up, baby. You know, I know you got a lot. Yeah. So there, there's something about a lot that was similar sure. between the two. Yeah. 
This also reminds me of a time song called The Stick, which I don't think we've covered yet. It's on the first time album. Okay. We've That's... definitely not covered it. Okay. Um, yeah, come on. It, it, it's. I can only like, imagine. Yes. It's about driving. Uh huh. Right? Sure. But not really about driving. Uh huh. Hear princes turning, listening to the radio or to a stereo uh-huh. into playing with part of his anatomy. Where yes. he says, I'm still waiting by the knob. Uh huh. Yeah, it's Which a it, very fun double entendre. Yeah, it's sort of, I don't know. I listen sex. to it, I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of cheesy. No, it's kind of clever, actually. Yeah. I get it. It is cheesy, but it's also fun. It's cheesy clever. It's uh-huh. clever. <laughs> Cleasy. At Cleasy. <laughs> at at fifty three seconds where he says, I'm ready for the heavy stuff. Oh yeah. And he like kind of screams it. Uh-huh. And you can hear him almost smiling. Um, I just love the delivery of it. And this is actually one of the songs I was most looking forward to getting this collection for because okay. I had heard Turn It Up for years and years and years and years and years, but was kind of infatuated with the idea of getting it in as good a quality as what we have here. I, I love it. Very cool. A minute and 46 seconds. There's a nice little musical breakdown that I wanted to point out. And then another classic print scream from the collection yeah. at like three minutes and thirty three minutes and three seconds where he's begging, uh, are you gonna stop? Are you gonna drop? Kiss me, kiss me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, Those I nuts. love those screams. Mm-hmm. They're great. Come on, baby. What's it gonna be? Are you gonna do it? Are you gonna leave it up to me? Are you gonna stop? Are you gonna drop? I gets kind of samey for a while. Um, I was glad for the change up at four minutes with the okay. ditty wops and the yeah. nonsense kind of lyrics. Yes, were really fun. I was I was ready for that. We get those screams, and then it's kind of the same for a while. And then at four minutes, it's like, oh, okay, I'm like something new. Yes, good. I'm, that's what I want. <laughs> It did change, yeah. It, it is not a short track, but it does take you... As soon as you start getting to the point where you're like, okay, is this going to change? And then it does. Yeah. Um, so it does kind of, I don't know, follow your nose a little bit for what you're longing for a little. That three minutes and 56 seconds to about four minutes and 46 seconds where there's a guitar and synth and drum breakdown where, as you just said, he's singing Ooh Diddy Wop. Uh-huh. Growing like before this collection came out, and I looked up lyrics. I thought he was singing "Ooh, fill you up." Oh, which helped me like connect it more as a collection of songs that sort of referred to one another and made it this kind of fun collection. Um, So now I can kind of hear him say "Ooh, diddy wop," but I still also I'll never not hear Uh "I'll fill you up." During that, if you go back and listen to it and see if you can see, if you can hear him singing that. Yeah. Is it a blue dress or a gold dress? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it's both. Yeah. Yeah. I did like the, you know, even the chorus, come and play with my controls, work me like a radio. Uh-huh. I still think is very, very fun and somehow cheesy, but original at the same time. Yeah. Because I know that he's not the first one to compare parts of his body to a knob. Yeah. <laughs> but it's done here in a way that uh, doesn't really offend. It's not cringeworthy because of uh, lack of awareness right. from 1982. It's explicit, but not overly so. Yeah. yeah. I thought this could be a great print single yeah. if it had been on another collection of songs or if it had been uncovered that there was a track listing for a 1999 follow-up that Prince had considered and this was on it or might have been the title track. I think this could be a popular song. Sure. Agreed. Then we have You're All I Want. 
offered to Eric Leeds for a Madhouse album and is believed to have been titled 26, if that had happened. Uh, that project evolved into the 1991 Times Squared album. Yeah. It was a track available to be voted on for a celebration yeah. event, Crystal Ball 2. Yeah. And it was nothing select- ever, ever came of no, that. No, I think it was selected. Yeah. It I was chosen, so like people voted on it. But I mean, in true Prince fashion, he had the idea for something and kind of put it in front of people and then never, never followed through. So at some point, we'll, we'll get all these tracks, I think. Yeah, more than likely. It's cool to know that it's a song that whenever that was, 1997 or something, that he put on a list of songs that he considered for release. So yeah. it's a little... Well, and he had people vote on them, so he knew they were out there. He knew they were circulating. Yeah, he, he knew, knew people, people had heard, heard them. them. Yes. Yeah, because how can you vote on something that you don't know anything about? Yeah, either that or he liked the idea of people voting based on the title, which well, could be also. But um, I just thought it was a little... I don't know, it made me smile to think that this was a song that he offered for release... And so it appearing on a collection like this certainly doesn't go against what he at one time thought might be possible. Right. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. This is the one that's got the chronological problem for me. Right. Uh, Also, this one was recorded on January 11th, so it is not quite in place chronologically because it was recorded a day before Bold Generation, which occurred, what, five tracks ago. Right. Hmm. Peggy McCreary shared a story of how Prince dressed the part to record this rockabilly song. Yes. He came in a, you know, black leather jacket and a white t-shirt and pompadour and the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. And he recorded it on her birthday. Yeah. Called her in and she was not happy. She did not want to be there. She wanted to be anywhere else but there. And he... Gave her this song on a cassette and the black leather jacket he was wearing when he recorded it and told her happy birthday. Yeah, he was on I'm his like, way out after working 12 hours with her on her birthday. Uh-huh. And her recollection, I think she said he kind of looked back and tossed her the cassette and said happy birthday. And, yeah. And left. Like, And he knew it was her birthday. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Didn't say anything to her until they were done yeah. working. And, oh, by the way, I made you work on your birthday, but look what I gave you. Your own unreleased song and my black leather jacket. Yep. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty awesome yes as annoyed as she probably was for those 12 hours i'm sure that had to make it all worthwhile i bet it did yeah her quote on the making of 1999 podcast was you know oh i have an unreleased print song and it's mine he gave it to me um you know and she's like well now it's not you know everyone gets to hear it i'm glad everyone gets to hear it but Uh it's not my special song anymore it was Uh just very sweet she was kind of torn by the fact that you know she had this thing she had it for 37 years to herself time to share it with the rest of us Yeah, it doesn't take away the fact that it was for you and (laughs) and she's a permanent part of the history of that song and that can never be taken away which is very special but she said you know that was her her words were that was one of the greatest gifts he could have ever given to me at the time i wanted my birthday off and she said that was just him that's how he did it yeah i thought that was very cool yeah and it's funny because you know i mean it's well documented for years and years and years. What did he do on his birthday? He recorded. Oh, he, he performed. Yeah, because that's Christmas what he wanted. And his birthday. That's what he wanted to do the most, uh-huh. and that may not have been what she wanted to do the most, but he wanted to do it that day, and he was going to do something for her. I'm going to make you work on your birthday, but I'm going to make you appreciate that you worked on your birthday. Yeah, which is kind of great. Yeah. He sure loved him some rockabilly during this era. This yeah, he not really did. the first time he'd recorded a song like this. And as I mentioned before, this song has the very same bass line as Horny Toad and Delirious. So yeah. it's very, very similar to yeah. this song. So I can see why. Yeah, why it uh, didn't find a home. Uh-huh. It, was, it was done. Yeah. It didn't. It's still really, really fun. And she's more fun than money. I really like the falsettos, do-do-do's at the very beginning of this thing. I can see, I picture Prince dressed up like John Travolta (laughs) singing the song in his falsetto (laughs) voice and his high-heeled boots. Uh Uh-huh.
Yeah, but a little more greaser. Mm. Well, definitely shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it made me like, I know Prince knew what a child on Christmas day is like, but the way he sings it, it seems like he hadn't experienced that with a kid in a while. Yeah. The first verse ever since the day we met, I feel like a baby on Christmas day. Yeah. No, it's babies not really. On babies are like unaware of what's going on. <laughs> they're, right? they're playing with the paper. That's and right. The bubble wrap. Trying to eat stuff that they're not supposed to eat. Yep. Sucking on a ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put that bow in your mouth. I really like the line, I bet it never rains on you, your beauty personified. No. I thought that was very, very sweet. really struck me that these lyrics in particular are being sung to or about Peggy. I just thought that he gave her the song. Uh-huh. Um, it wasn't that he's singing about not being able to resist her. Right. And that's why I picked out the she's more fun than money mm. lyrics, because what's more important to Prince well, than not, not money n- than money is the music and being able to make the music. And she, as an engineer, made that possible. I see. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. I thought it's rare that you can really point out where vocal overdubs happen in this collection, but there's a moment at 2 minutes and 15 seconds where he sings, I've never been sweet on candy, and then he sings over himself, Girl, you're so sweet. That sounds a little strange to me because you don't hear him singing lead vocals and singing on top of himself a lot here. And he does it at that point. And that's one of the only points you can really hear it, which is cool. Yeah. And he's got another guitar solo at two minutes and 30 seconds where he does the call out, everybody work out. And there's a little guitar solo and him singing do, 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 do over the thing that's kind of. I don't know. I can just see him with his white man's overbite playing guitar <laughs> to himself. That's what I picture there. That's funny. All right. Then we have something in the water does not compute. Original version. Right. We talked about this, actually. Yes. On a previous podcast. We, we did a two-episode series on 1999 or at least two maybe it was three. it was two we did we covered the album and then we covered videos b-sides and some outtakes all in one episode all in one episode it's really compelling podcasting when the host can't remember what they recorded it and was released. a year ago so year ago. i'm not surprised but yes this is the version that we did talk about though it's so such nice quality here yeah, it was similar. It's not vastly improved, actually, over what we listened to when right. we did that um, episode. Um, so as the title implies, it was the first take of this song and then completely re-recorded for 1999. And I still struggle, struggle to determine which I prefer. Yeah. I really love that echoey hand claps. Yep. that we have here they just feel so natural and the piano that's so very like the piano on a microphone release right here is it's just it's warm and endearing and Mm -hmm. in a different way it is i wrote down what six different if i had to sum it up I don't know how much of a summary of it it is when you have to have six statements, but this version is more brooding and a little darker than the version released on 1999. Agreed. It fades in rather than the Stark Lindrum intro on the album version. There's less of the synths from the album version on this one. There's less reverb on Prince's voice than the album version. Um, There's half the hi-hat rate. Um, okay. This version than the 1999 version, which which makes the 1999 version seem a little faster, even though it's not. Right. 
Um, and there's more piano on this version than the album version, particularly at like one minute and 35 seconds. There's a great little piano interlude that's just kind of bluesy and a little dark and kind of, you know, sad. It's almost like something in the water does not compute and whatever is trying to compute it is kind of disappointed that it can't come to a conclusion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, 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 From two minutes and 34 seconds to the end, you should go back and listen to the bass playing behind the piano in the sense. It's almost hypnotic. Um, it's very sparse, but worth a revisit. Yes. You haven't revisited it. You took all of my notes. Oh, geez. So, I'm that's sorry. fine. No, it's good. Well, oh, if it'll uh, make you happy, we can go to the next song. Sure. I I did. <laughs> actually, I said you took all my notes and I lied. Okay. Um, I just I wanted to point out, I think we talked about them the last time, there's these runs in the final chorus as he's singing that are just super emotional and worth pointing out again. There's definitely a lot of emotion in his vocals in both versions of the song. Yeah. I mean, I think 1999 as an album is near perfect. I don't know that I would change anything about it hearing both of these discs of vault material and what surprises there were on there for me. Um, But I still can't decide which is the better version. So since I can't decide, I'll just say then he made the right decision. Sure. The one on the album that he did. Sure. All right. Then we have If It'll Make You Happy. Yeah. From April 6, 1982. Yep. Interestingly, a day after recording, three times two equals six for the 86 album, which is kind of fun. And it was recorded apparently for possible inclusion on 1999, but it's not known if any configurations contained it. So at least he was at some point considering it. Yeah. This Uh, is the one where we have another... Musician, yes, we do. With him, some guitar and backing vocals by Des Dickerson. Yeah, yeah, and his voice is a great compliment to Prince's. I don't normally like. I don't need more than one guy singing. With, right. With if Prince is singing, it's not often that you have another male's voice with right. him. But Des was a great compliment to Prince's voice and yeah. his guitar playing too. And this is another one that was up for voting for inclusion on Crystal Ball Two. Right. Right. That didn't happen. Didn't happen. Well, we get it here anyway. Yep. I guess this is almost reggae? Yeah, it sounds like a little bit of rockabilly and a little bit of like UB40 style reggae. That's right. If it'll make you happy, Uh red, red wine. (laughs) Um, And the vocals are very open and vulnerable it's rare how many times have we said on this podcast about prince singing from the woe is me perspective i've been done wrong and i played no part in Uh the undoing of our relationship and here he's singing from the complete opposite perspective which i thought was very unique for this era yeah of prince music he's very open to being the one his opening line, I didn't mean to leave you, but I had to go. Changing my life wouldn't make you happy. Tell me and I'll make it so. Yeah. Didn't mean to leave you, but I had to go. Changing my life wouldn't make you happy. Tell me and I'll make it so. I'll do whatever it takes. You know? Yeah. To, if that means changing everything about my world, mm-hmm. I'll do it. Yeah. yeah. Very different kind of take on a song, both lyrically and from uh, like a musical perspective, too. I thought the guitar solo and a minute and 44 seconds was a nice little surprise, too. I think the one thing about this song that felt off to me is it almost felt like the song was written... And if Prince could read music, which I know he says he couldn't do, which I'm not certain I completely believe, but that it was played 
as it was written with no improv, like a very straightforward play this through and sing it kind of song, which is also unusual to me. Like there's something in each print song on this collection that seems a little improvised or wow, he did this. And I didn't find that moment on this song, Mm. which makes it unique, Mm -hmm. but is also strange to me. Mm. Would you like to sleep on Prince's bed or on Prince's body? Oh, well, you can sleep on my bed. That's like that's smaller than a twin size bed. If you I choose gonna, his body, I was going to say that's that's there. a very very. I, I like to be able to spread out and roll around a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't per- afford me that uh, ability. No, you'd have to roll him out flat to get the size of a twin size <laughs> bed. I think. <laughs> That's a strange image. <laughs> um, um, if it'll make you happy, girl, I'll come home right away. If it'll make you happy, girl, I'll come home right away. He loves spending time with her, and that she wants to spend time with him is like the best thing. Yeah. I think it's sweet. And apparently she's got all her friends saying that he doesn't love you. Yeah. I guess because he left, that would be a pretty clear signal that love isn't there, but he had to go, but is willing to do anything to make it last. Well, yes. And yeah, that's what it seems like. But I, I don't get the impression that he like left because he was putting something over her. It's more like a, I have to travel for work. Okay. And that's why I had to, I didn't want to leave, but I had to because I'm having to travel for work. And then he says, I don't really dig making love, making Mm -hmm. love on a telephone, which kind of seems like the kind of thing that Dirty Prince would be kind of into, but maybe only when it's his idea. True. Phone sex is only fun. I want to call you to seduce you because I'm taking the initiative. Right. Because we do it every Tuesday and Thursday at 7.30 p.m. It gets a little old. (laughs) What's more, I really don't dig making love, making love on the telephone. He wants it as an option, and he doesn't like it if it's because he has to be out of town for some reason. Yeah, he doesn't want to be forced into it. Mm-hmm. I really thought the his little falsetto ooh, ooh, yeah. at the end, around three minutes and 30 seconds, were They're really, really so good. good. Yes. And I, I love the song. It's yeah, yeah. But I liked UB40 a lot, like in the '90s too. So oh yeah, it's got a similar flavor. And I know you don't particularly I, care for them. That's one of my least favorite types of music. <laughs> would be UB40. <laughs> that or country, or worse, if UB40 sang country, <laughs> that would be my least favorite kind of music. And plus, now I'm over forty, and I don't really appreciate that very much. <laughs> Now they're trying to make you younger. Why wouldn't you like it? They're making me feel like a grumpy old man <laughs> by telling them to get off my radio. And then the final song, How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore. Take two. Take two. So Peggy was one that sort of let it slip. Peggy McCurry let it slip that they were had a longer version of mm-hmm. How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore. And I think everyone in the Prince universe thought... Oh, it's got to be like the B-side, How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore, sort of fades out. Uh-huh. And it must be a continuation of that version. And so that's what everyone was expecting. And what it really turned out to be is a second take of the song, which I think is far superior from mm-hmm. the B-side version. So it's another live studio recording. You compared this, you know, we don't talk much about our thoughts or any of these songs before we sit down to record the podcast, especially since we have your rules that we're about to get to. Uh huh. But in kind of casual passing by, like, oh, what'd you think? And you said, oh, this one kind of sounds like it would have worked on the piano and a microphone in 1983. And of course, it definitely would. It's just Prince on a piano and you can hear all these things like his feet on the pedals that turn into drums and it's imperfect in ways that um, would have never appeared on an album of his with him sniffing. It's almost like he's got, he's not sick, but he's got, Oh, he's a human being and has snot like the rest of us. (laughs) 
Yeah, and the finger snaps are real natural sounding. And Yes. Let's mention other notable times that this song has been released because it has been around the block and back. So it was, the B, it was a B-side on 1999. Um, in 1985, Prince and the Revolution Live from Syracuse on March 30th, 1985, that was on VHS. They performed it there. Um, it was on the Girl 6 soundtrack in 1996. It was on One Night Alone Live in 2002. And here in 2019, it's on this collection, 1999's Super Deluxe Edition, three different times. This track and on two of the live concerts that are included. So this song has seen its release yeah. in the Prince Dome. But nearly every time that it's been released, it's all just Prince at the piano. Yeah. Which is awesome. I liked the... Uh... Right at the start, he says, whenever you're ready. Whenever you're ready. It's kind of a nice little bit of deference to whomever is working with him on this recording. I pictured this being Peggy. Well, me too. Because it was at Sunset Sound when he recorded this. But it's it's not a a rude or a, no. Hey, you're keeping the star waiting kind of thing. No, it was just a... we're, we're, We're working together on this and I'm ready when you are. Yeah. And then he launches right into it. I just picture Peggy giving him a thumbs up yeah. or nodding. Yeah, whenever he, you're ready. And, and then he like, launches right yep. into it, like less than a second later. Yeah. Yeah. And just the way he says ready yeah. is sort of, it's cute and it's polite. Uh-huh. You know, it's not like, whenever you're ready. Yeah. No, it's very kind. It's friendly. Yeah. And it's, cool. Yes. And I think I think it's nice that it was included because you could have easily seen them just clip that off and have the song start. But you get a little bit of this intimate moment where he's in the studio working with someone else intimately, and that's yeah. preserved here too, which I yeah. thought it was great to leave it included. Yeah, I'm glad they did too. When he sings, always thought you'd be by my side, and tonight you're gone at a minute, his falsetto, I mean, it makes me absolutely hate my voice. He's <laughs> in such control. I think a lot of people say that Prince's height of control of his vocals and when he was in prime form was around emancipation okay there's a lot of falsetto singing on emancipation it's a love album to maite but i think this song proves them very wrong There's no post effects, no touching up of things. Mm-hmm. It's just raw him live in one take on a piano for freaking six minutes and s- however long the song is. And it's almost perfect. Yeah. Or if it's not perfect, I'd tell me where it's not perfect. It's fantastic. Like you said, his snaps where he sings, how come you don't call me anymore? Uh huh. I mean, he's... Got his hands are busy. His hands and feet are busy at this point, and he's able to stop what he's doing, provide this little fun moment at a minute and nineteen seconds, and other places where he sings the chorus that to me are seem so easy and spontaneous. Where to me, I'd be so nervous of messing up, or you know, we're on tape, and but he was just immune to that. It seemed yeah. Like. Well, he'd done enough recording. Yeah, I loved it. Just after two minutes, everybody said we should never part, and he still gets the, well, that's what they're talking about. Oh, yeah, the little under his comment uh-huh. afterwards. Everybody said we should never part, baby. That's what I tell you. Yes, because yeah. he did, the, you're right, he does that on the B-side version, too. Yeah. Very cool. It's very nice. Other things I wanted to point out was how... The words, how come you don't call me anymore, morph into other wording as the song progresses. And he kind of gets more emotional about it and sings it maybe incorrectly, but on purpose. Uh huh. Um, at two minutes and 32 seconds, he sings, why don't you never call me anymore? Yeah. And then later on at... Three minutes and 24 seconds, he sings, Why don't you don't call me anymore? Uh But it seems intentional. anymore. 
Like yeah, he's just he in just, another place. Yeah, or he's just kind of playing with it to go back and listen to it later. Which way do I like it? Which way do I want it to be? Yeah. Maybe I want to go back and change it. Oh, man. Four minutes and four seconds when he sings, why can't you just pick up the phone? And he's not even singing in his falsetto anymore. Mm-hmm. And it just is such a great delivery to me. Why can't you just pick up the phone? And the one moment where if I had to like take a snapshot and say, this is demonstration of Prince live in the studio in complete control of his voice, it would be at four minutes and 50 seconds where he sings, still keep your picture. I keep it by my bed. It's just this, it's so soft and in he's in complete control of it. His voice doesn't do anything that he doesn't want it to do. Yeah. And it was just amazing to me. It was great. And then we hear him get up and walk away. Yes. Right after, like, I think of like waving goodbye to Prince. Yeah. You know, and the way he plays the piano at five minutes and 18 seconds, the blending of his falsetto and piano playing through the end of the song. sounds like a swan song to me like at five minutes and 52 seconds there's this almost sounds like the end of over the rainbow okay um, it doesn't sound like that but it has that same feel to it like this is coming to a very very pretty end and it's like the best i can possibly do yep and i thought the way that that ends this cd it, it is almost like an album with this being the last song. I thought it was really awesome. Yeah. This is the definitive version of the song for me moving forward. I, I agree. This is, it's beautiful. Yep. It is. Everyone, no matter how big a geek you are, has movies that they haven't seen that have other geeks saying, how have you never seen this movie? Well, we're here to help. At the Now You've Seen It podcast, we help you fill those gaps in your geek cred one movie at a time. Each episode, a guest who is watching the movie for the first time joins our rotating cast of hosts and panelists to discuss the movie and compare seeing it through fresh eyes versus seeing it with eyes filtered through the lens of nostalgia. You can find Now You've Seen It on Facebook at facebook.com slash now you've seen it, no apostrophe, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Chrissy. And I'm Jackie. And we are Killer Fun. We explore the intersection of crime and entertainment every other week. For as long as people have been communicating, they have been talking about who did what to whom, and is that socially acceptable? Because the boundaries of society, crime, and entertainment have always gone hand in hand. The more salacious, the weird, the better. From books and movies to television shows and games, we look at how life and art imitate and inform one another. And we can't get together and not laugh. So let's face it. There's going to be laughing. <laughs> Killer fun is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. So join us. Then we have rules. Yes. We finally covered all the things that we were going to talk about this episode. There was a lot of it. There was a lot of it. So we choose three things in case you're unaware. We choose a time capsule, something that exemplifies the time at which the material was recorded or when it was released. The choice is up to the Post making the selection, we choose a C, the low point. Not that it's bad. It so could be bad. It could it, suck. It, it could suck. But be. I, we'd be hard to find something that completely sucked on this uh, group of material. Right. And the mountain, the thing that we like the most. Mm-hmm. These are my rules, so I get to go. I'm looking forward to this because okay. I couldn't predict where you would go <laughs> with any of these. Okay. Well, my time capsule mm-hmm. is the rockabilly sound that's in so many songs. We hear it in Vagina, a little yeah. bit in Rearrange, yeah. a little bit in Turn It Up, a whole bunch in You're All I Want, that that was a theme that he was exploring when you combine that with Delirious and Horny Toad. Mm-hmm. That's 
that's my time capsule is that and you hear it on um the previous album controversy too which we haven't covered yet and um so we'll get to it but it was definitely an early from 1980 to 1982 exploration and something that prince he 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 loved him some rockabilly no doubt me too (laughs) (laughs) all right time capsule for me yeah um, it's how come you don't call me anymore just because of the fact that I feel like now this is the definitive performance of this classic B-side that he performed long throughout his career. Um, and that now I consider this the original and the B-side is more of an alternate studio take to me okay. than this is. Okay. I get to make up these stories in my mind and sure. nobody can tell me what to do. <laughs> so <laughs> nanny nanny boo boo. <laughs> So just the fact that it was recorded here and that he revisited it so many times, even putting it on a soundtrack to a movie that wasn't his, but that he kind of helped curate for Girl 6. Yeah. Um, this is a great time capsule. Yeah. Awesome. All right. The C. The C. S-E-A. The yeah. bottom. Yeah. The thing that you felt was least successful. The low point. I have no idea. I can't even guess. Okay. What this might be. Maybe the maybe, maybe the booklet and how small the type is in it. That would have been a good one, but that's not what I chose. I chose, this is cheating, but I made the rules so I can break them. You seem very uncertain. Don't you have that written down over there? <laughs> it's the fact that Colleen never got finished or had lyrics. Oh. I thought that there was so many interesting things happening in that. And while there were parts of it that it really felt super unfinished, and I would have really loved to hear what that evolved into Mm. and what theme of lyrics he might have included with it so that it remained kind of unfinished Uh from when he recorded it till the end of his life is a shame for me. That is both brilliant and a really smart way to not put down a single damn thing on this collection. <laughs> Nicely done. That was my whole, I'm like, how the heck am I going to pick a C for this? It's brilliant from beginning to end. There's a hundred things that I love about this album and very little that I don't. Wow. Well, I was not so sneaky oh. with my C. <laughs> Um, but I still don't feel badly about it. So I'll just tell you, um, like you, there's nothing here that I don't like. Okay. Um, so, and I want to make that clear. So the C for me boils down to, if I had to remove one song from this collection and not have it to listen to anymore, what would it be having heard it all Uh many, many times now? So what could Apple music refuse to play for me for some reason and my CD gets scratched and I would be least hurt deep in my soul. Um, for me, unfortunately, it's if it'll make you happy. Um, I'm not a big UB40 kind of guy. And like I said, that's the one song that almost sounds like it's kind of played by the book. Like okay, he was reading music and going by the numbers and that's not why I like Prince. Okay. Um, and also the echo in his voice bothers me some. It's oh. very much pop lifey where, oh, you know, it's, it's, it. it's got a lot of delay and that may very well be how Prince intended it, but I'm not certain of that. Um, and also the sugar sweetness of the song seems also very by the book to me. Like it came out of a songbook and was just performed just like they wrote it down and everybody played their part. And I think that also comes from having read The Beautiful Ones, his unfinished memoir, where Mm -hmm. he talks a little bit about why he thought people other than him sometimes failed at playing all the instruments and producing their own work. And he talked about um, his approach where every part that he played, he played it like it was his one and only shot to be on the album. With that kind of intensity. And it was only that way that you got this full band sound with the intensity that he wanted, and that included singing, which he said was, you know, voice is just an instrument I play by necessity. It's one of many things that I do. Right. And uh, for the, it just felt a little half-hearted to me. Mm. I don't know. I'm putting it down a lot more than I really don't like it. Right. So I'll stop describing it now. Okay. Well, the mountain. The mountain. Oh, man, How it's do hard you do to it? I bet, I bet we have a tie. I bet we have a match. 
Circle gets a square. Come on. Well, I don't think that we do. Okay. Because <laughs> it was a toss-up between if if it'll make you happy and vagina. What? And I, <laughs> and I went with if it'll make you happy only because I loved it so much and I could listen really? to it with the kids in the car. I love that song so much. Really? I, I don't do. understand why. <laughs> It's Please sweet. tell me. It's so sweet. And you what that you don't like the sweetness of it is one of the things that I love the most is just the such sentiment behind it. I like that kind of almost reggae feel a lot. Okay. I really enjoy that type of music. And the idea that he wants to be close to her and that he'll give up his almost his livelihood to be close to her uh-huh. is just it speaks to my romantic girl heart Aww. the 13 year old me that read harlequin romance novels when she really should not have <laughs> loves well, this song i'm sorry that i buried your mountain in my <laughs> no, <seat>. it's fine <laughs> it's fine what's your mountain well i'm picking the song that you didn't when it came down to year two however Turn It Up for me would be second place. Okay. It's very close because I just, I always love Turn It Up. I thought it sounded frantic and fun and having it here in this quality makes me very, very happy. I am still just freaking bowled over by <laughs> Vagina. I love and it. how it's much great. I love it. It is probably in my top 15, maybe top 10 print songs ever. And I never thought I'd be saying that three years after his passing, that there would be a song recorded almost 40 years prior that was so good. I cannot believe that that was not revisited in some way, that the music didn't resurface, even not necessarily the lyrics. I think think the lyrics are brilliant. Oh, yes. That there's no part of that song that wasn't brought forth for some project of his in his career and that he never even mentioned it or spoke of it to anyone. It seemed like, um, wow. Um, it just encompasses everything about Prince during this era, the guitar playing, the toying around with vocal rhythms, layering his falsettos, singing about topics that were taboo at the time, exploring androgyny, being astonished by humanity and beauty and sexuality of all kinds. It like does it all in this raw punk rebel kind of way that um it's like yeah man that's that's why we love prince and it was cool to watch him grow and change like he would have never recorded a song like that in the last 15 years of his life but that's also what makes it awesome is because he kind of forced himself to do different things he did it and then he did something else yep and i'm personally cool with that yeah so to have it all resurface on a collection like this and be like an absolute out of out of the blue shocker is awesome. Yeah, so, that's great. Kudos. Yeah, excellent. All right. So next time, next time, no surprise. We're gonna do Vault Two or Vault Disc Two of 1999. Yes. Yep. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, fantastic cheesy. I don't know whatever wow. rhymes with that. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We uh, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, to this especially it. short episode, it <laughs> seems like, of the mountains and the sea. We know that you make a choice when you listen to us. We don't just come on the radio. So we thank you for listening. And you can find us on social media, on Facebook, The Mountains and the Sea, a Prince podcast. You can find us on Twitter at TMATS, T-M-A-T-S podcast. Or you can send us an email, podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again. We will be back with you in a couple weeks with a whole lot more discussion about these fun vault discs. Thanks for listening. All right. So that was the end of our coverage. Holy moly. That was one disc. That was one desk. But it deserved the attention we gave it. Oh, no I doubt. I agree. Absolutely. Two parts. It was worth it. It was worth it. I wish we had realized it was going to be two parts when we started to sit down to record it. I think we knew at some point, but um, we just had to keep going. <laughs> it was too late to yep. abort, so we just kept going and... Yeah, so we've learned our lesson. So tell us what we're covering next time. Next time, we're going to take our first part. We're going to just go into disc two, knowing that we're going to split it up into two parts, even if we don't talk about 
each track quite as long and as lengthy as we did for disc one. So we're going to look at track one, Possessed, through track six, which is No Call You on the next episode. Okay. So thank you very much. We appreciate your patience. As I said just a minute ago, we know we don't come on the radio. We appreciate you taking time to listen to us. Find us on the socials, and uh, we'll be back with you in just a couple weeks. Thanks for listening. Forge Audio. Dream it. Build it. Share it.